Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And for those of you that might not know, we've been, uh, we've been uh, in a series on spiritual warfare. I'm not going to read all of the verses connected with this, but in case there's some folks that haven't been here for the study, I am going to begin in verse number 12 where Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's another way of saying that your real enemies are not flesh and bone, not people. We're involved in a spiritual warfare. And so he says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye may be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. And our text for today is found in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Even as I read this week after week after week, and I try to picture in my mind Paul's situation. Here is a man that is in prison. A man who might surmise that his ministry days are over. Here's someone that loved preaching, loved people, traveled all over the country, everywhere God led him, faced all kinds of danger, and now here he is in prison. And just being human, there surely must have been a moment when Paul thought, it's over. And let me tell you from experience as a preacher, whenever you reach that point that you start thinking, well, I don't know if I got many days or weeks or months left, uh, it's something that's not pleasant to deal with. I love preaching, but I don't love preaching. I don't preach because I love preaching. I preach because God called me to preach and he enabled me to love it. And I try to put myself in his position and what my attitude would be. Maybe I stir up a riot and try to get out of there. Few choice curse words. Let them know I don't appreciate what they're doing. A lot of things could be said, but here Paul is in that situation. And God uses him to show us how we can win in this warfare. And there's no getting out of the warfare. You're in it, like it or not. It's going to happen, and we either win or we lose. I'm not talking about salvation and going to heaven right now. I'm talking about as Christian people... We either fulfill our God-given purpose in life or we don't, one or the other. Jesus said, those that are not for me are against me. We're, we're on one side or the other. We're either accomplishing His will, which as the song said a while ago, is what? Glorify God. We glorify God by joyful obedience to the will of God. 
But there's all kinds of opposition. You know, a lot of times we mean well, at least we think we do, and we determine in our heart that I really do want to serve God. Just that very desire in your heart is going to stir up opposition against you. Some folks got the idea, well, if I become a Christian, that means all my problems are over. I won't have to worry about anything then, you know, and just be a bed of roses. No, you're just getting in a fight like you've never been in before. That's right. We're struggling against spiritual enemies, wickedness in high places, he tells us here. We've already spoken about the girdle or the belt of truth, whichever you prefer. The breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace. Last week we spoke about the shield of faith. How important faith is if we're going to succeed in the Christian life. But this week we're talking about the helmet of salvation. The outline is real simple because there's only two things we need to consider basically and that is the soldier's helmet. Now remember, Paul is there. The Spirit of God is leading him, directing his thoughts as he watches those Roman soldiers and looks at the different articles of armor that they have on. And he inspires Paul to write about that. And in this case here, it has to do with the helmet. In those days, it was... Many times it was just a leather cap, but it had little metal plates attached to it, or it was, a, it was a cast metal that was formed to fit the head. But the purpose is what? Well, to protect the head. And no Roman soldier dare going out to battle without putting his helmet on. In those days, they had the, what was known as the broadsword. It was three or four feet long. It had a long handle or they could use both hands on it and one blow could just split your skull wide open. And that was a necessary part of their armor. There's not going out to fight without it. And that brings us to the second thought this morning and where we're going to plant our feet. And that has to do with, this, with the saint's headgear, our helmet, our headgear. Whenever I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about, I guess it's getting maybe close to a year now that my, my nephew, Teddy Chandler, was working under a car and uh, Jack slipped off and uh, part of it anyway fell on his head. I sent a text to my sister this morning asking how he's doing and not well. He still can't walk. He can't really communicate like he ought to be able to. All because of a, of a head injury. Here's a big, strong, strapping young man. And uh, some way or another, he received a blow to the head. And now he can't have that warm fellowship with his family anymore. When you're talking about the head, you're thinking about that part of you that is able to think, that part of you that is able to make decisions. We're not talking about just the bone and the little bit of flesh that covers the bone. We're talking about everything that, that's involved in the head, the brain, the area. 
And he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Now, naturally, there's a problem with a lot of folks about this and a misunderstanding. Some folks believe this is talking about being saved. Put on the helmet of salvation. In other words, get saved and then, then you'll, be, you'll be equipped to deal with that. Get saved. But wait, that can't be it because he's writing to Christian people. He's writing to the saints of God. He has to have something else in mind other than our spiritual salvation. There's got to be more to it than that. Well, others say, well, if it's not that, then he must be talking about the assurance of our salvation. There are those that actually believe that you can be saved and not know it. Well, if you can be saved and not know it, you could lose it and never miss it. I mean, but there are folks that believe that, that it is, that it's common, normal for people to, to doubt whether they're saved or not. I'll tell you, that's not been my experience. Why would I doubt the one who bled and died for me on the cross? Why would I doubt the one who the Bible says that cannot lie? I've had doubts about a lot of things, but tomorrow, by the way, August the 14th, 1966, I trusted Christ as my Savior, started preaching two months later. He said, well, how did you, you do that? I, I don't know. I just did. I knew how I got saved. And I told the pastor, God called me to preach. I didn't know it till that night. We was on our knees in the prayer, Bev and I and the pastor and his wife. God said, I want you to preach the gospel. And I've doubted a lot of things over the years, but I've never doubted whether I was saved or not. I've never doubted whether or not God called me to preach. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that if you've ever had a doubt, that means that, you, that you're not saved. You, you can go horseback riding, fall off the horse, hit your head. You wouldn't know how to get home. You wouldn't know your address. There are certain things that could happen to you. It might be... Uh, Something to do with chemicals. Out of balance some way. It could be a fall. Strike your head. Things could happen that would make you momentarily doubt. But if you are in your right mind, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You can burn my Bible. I hope you don't, but you could burn my Bible I wouldn't lose my assurance of salvation because the Spirit, the Spirit Himself bears witness that I am a child of God. So Paul's got to be talking about something else other than this matter of trying to assure them of salvation. So the question is, well, what does he mean? Well, I've discovered over the years that the best way to find out what, what the Bible means is to read the Bible. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Amen. And I want you to turn over to, I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians, just a few pages away, chapter number 1. And here we find Paul speaking about the difficulties that he has encountered, the things that, that he knows he's going to encounter in the future. 
And he says in verse 10, speaking of God, verse 9 says, The God which raised up the dead, who delivered us from so great a wrath, and doth deliver, and in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. Now, I understand, and I haven't always made this perfectly clear. I've just assumed that people get the connection but I want you to understand that this, is, this has to do basically with Paul's experience, what he has been through, and God got him through that. I mean, he was at the point of death, and God was looking out for him. And he says, he's taken care of me, he's delivered me. That word saved means to be delivered. He has delivered me, and he doth deliver me. In other words, he's in the process of doing that. And he shall, that's the future tense. You see, there are three tenses there. And even if you don't take those in the strict interpretation regarding salvation, it certainly gives an outline of God's concern for every Christian. And I could stand here the next 20, 30 minutes reading verses of Scripture that proves that our salvation is in three tenses. There is the present tense, that we have been saved. It's not like we're going to be saved when we get to heaven. We are saved. The Bible tells us if we believe on the Lord, we, what, we have e eternal life right now. It's not something we're going to go get someday. We've been saved. We call that justification. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, doesn't mean that we've never sinned, but it means that in the sight of God, in His judicial reckoning, He justifies us, He treats us as though we've never sinned, even though we have, and the only way He can do that is because what Jesus did for us. Amen. Because of the price that He paid, our sin debt, we are justified. But then Paul says, God not only did deliver, but He doth deliver. That's speaking about the present tense. And if you're a Christian, you need to understand that you have been delivered from the penalty of sin already. Justified. You're being delivered from the, the power of sin. That's what we call sanctification. God's working in your life. Sometimes we wonder, well, why did God let this happen to me? or why? Because it will aid in your spiritual growth. We don't understand it. We can't put all of the pieces together. But like the old saying, when you can't trace God's hand, trust His heart. He knows what He's doing. We say, well, what is He trying to do? Romans 8, verse number 29. He predestinated us, what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. God is working on every one of His children to make us more like Jesus. Then Paul says, and He doth deliver. He has, He is, He doth, will yet deliver. That's the future tense. That's whenever we'll be with the Lord. That's glorification. That one day that we will be with the Lord. Now I mention all of this because here in our text, whenever he uses the word salvation, understand that he is speaking here about the future 
the future tense, our final deliverance, our glorification. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. He's not telling us that we need to get saved. He's not assuring us that we're saved by, you know, give ourselves a little pep talk, talk that we really are saved. He's talking about the future tense of our salvation. And again and again, verse after verse through the New Testament reminds us of that. Let me read just one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Paul writes, But let us who are of the day be sober, that serious-minded, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Now get this. And for a helmet... The hope of salvation. He's telling us right there that this helmet of salvation has to do with the hope of salvation. And by the way, when the Bible talks about uses that word hope, it's not like we generally use it today. You know, well, I sure hope it rains tomorrow. I hope it cools down. That's not what it's talking about. The Bible says we are saved by hope. But it's not talking about wishing. We're saved by hope in the sense that we, that we have put our trust, our confidence in the Lord. And hope, biblical hope, is nothing more than faith in that which is to come. Right now we walk by faith. But we have that hope of that which is going to come. A hope that the Bible says is steadfast and sure. In other words, it, it's rock solid. Without a doubt, that's what he's talking about. The helmet of salvation is the future tense of salvation. It's that hope of salvation that ministers to us. Every piece of the armor had a particular function. One piece ministered to us in one way and another piece in another way, but we need all of it. We see the benefits of this here in several different ways. It's protecting the head, that is, our thinking. I, I don't know any soldier in his right mind would uh, say, you know, I, I, I don't need boot camp. I, I don't need any training. Just ship me off to the battlefront. I, I don't need a plan. I don't need a sergeant telling me what I ought to do. Thinking is crucial to winning any struggle. And if you're in a warfare, you better know not only what you're doing, you better know something about the enemy, by the way. And if there is some way Satan can do something that's going to upset the manner in which we think, He's already won the victory. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knows exactly what's going on in our heart. And we're going to become whatever it is that we think about. That's why James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If we're going to win this battle, we have got... To think straight, and to think straight, we've got to think scripturally. And that helmet protects our, our mind. Now remember who the adversary is. He calls him the wicked one, the God of this world, that is Satan. 
And he protects us against deception as we think about as we think about this helmet of salvation. Because Satan would have you to believe it's, uh, it's all a fairy tale. It's all a big lie. Remember, he's the father of lies, Jesus said in John chapter number 8. And he'll do anything he can to deceive us. Boy, he's really done a number on this world. The politicians, educators, all of those that you know supposedly know what they're doing. The ones that... A lot of people depend upon to solve all of our problems and they don't have a clue what's going on. You see, the world doesn't have the answer to the, to the problems that you and I face. You're not going to find the solution to all of the problems in the world. I'm sure every person here, if I just gave a list of all of the problems we face here in America, it's, it's heartbreaking, it's sickening to think about how this, this country has changed so drastically. And there's no one out there that's got any of the answers, no solution. The politicians will tell you they do, put us in office, or we'll solve that problem, but they never do. There's always a problem. And the problem exists because man doesn't have the answer. The only answer to our problems is the Word of God. And Satan is hard at work trying to get us to doubt the very thing that will help us. And if he can deceive you, he will defeat you. And he can do a lot of different things to deceive you, to cause you to think one thing when reality is quite the opposite. Then there's distraction. I can remember back whenever TVs first come out, I remember preachers how how they would preach against TVs. The danger, the danger of piping all of that into your own home, you know. I'm talking about the, the fundamental independent Baptist people that that I was a part of. You know, I look back and the truth of the matter is it did do more damage than we can even begin to imagine. Oh, oh, there he goes again. He's going to go back and get on all of the hobby horse of that old stuff. You can't deny the fact that the TV hasn't been misused. And it's continuing to be misused. Why? Because it's, it's feeding people. You, th- you think about the, the media that we depend so much on. It's so determined on deceiving us, making us think one thing when the truth is it's another altogether. And you need to understand even though they might come out and tell you this is our policy right here that what we're doing is intentional. There's a power greater than man that's behind all of that and that's Satan himself. Distracting us from what is really important. He deceives us into thinking one thing 
then he distracts us. And it might not be the TV, by the way. Distraction could be a number of things. It, it could be something that's, you know, in and of itself is good. I've never read in the Bible anything sinful about fishing. Oh, I spent a lot of time fishing and hunting. It's really enjoyable. It's, uh, but believe me, Satan can even use something like that to so distract you that he gets the victory over you. Then comes the discouragement. After you've been deceived, you've been distracted, you've got your mind on something else, but still, even though you're doing what you want to do, every weekend you're out there bass fishing. That's what you want to do. But some way or another, it never brings any real satisfaction. Something inside of you, you're just miserable. You're not at peace with yourself and and, and all, all of a sudden, everything starts going wrong. And believe me, if you're a child of God out of the will of God, it's just a matter of time till things start going wrong. The Lord tells us whom He loves, He what? He chastens, He scourgeth every son that He receives. We, we don't sin successfully. It's hard to overcome discouragement when everything in the world is going wrong. And that's why we need to mind our mind. The helmet, the helmet of salvation, that hope of salvation, focusing on reality because the devil's going to come along and tell you there's not any hope. But whenever I, whenever I look at what God said about the salvation that He provided, the salvation that is yet to come to its full conclusion, when I step off over yonder in heaven, when I pass through that door into the presence of the Lord, when I focus my thoughts on that, I realize that all of our trials and our difficulties all have a meaning, all a purpose. And I think about our, our labor, the things that we do. There's going to be relief and rewards for what we've done. All of our trouble is going to come to an end. All of the bad is going to work out for good. Jesus is going to reign forever. How often do you think about that? Do, do you ever just stop and spend 30 minutes thinking about how wonderful it's going to be and, and going through the Bible and looking at all of the things and connected with that? Oh, I know I can get up here and in two or three minutes I can just give you an outline of what it's going to be like. But you, you need to just soak your soul in those truths. Because as we, as we look to the future, as we set our hope on the future, that which is to come, 
as it's described in the Word of God, it enables us to view life from an entirely different perspective. Somebody says, oh, I just wish I could live forever. You're a fool. You want to live forever on this earth? Because it's just a matter of time until you're going to, you're going to, things are going to go horribly wrong. Now, if, if we could live forever in a perfect environment like it's going to be in heaven, that's different. But this old sinful world is not a place where you want to live forever because it's going to get worse instead of better. But when we look at our salvation, that future hope, that day when all of the things we've been singing about, you know, when all becomes final. You'll have to agree. Well, Brother Stone was right. He kept saying the best is yet to come, best is yet to come. And it really is. And we need to keep our focus there. When Satan tries to come and to cloud your thinking, to distract you some way or another and deceive you and get you where you are down in the dirt, discouraged, and you just want to throw in the towel and give up, never come back to church, just forget it all. It's just... Next time you get that way, you remember this. The battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. We're in, we're in the fight. But we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen. Christ already gained the victory whenever he was crucified on the cross and buried in the tomb and he arose from the dead. We can be certain of the outcome, no doubt about it. So many have said, I've read the last chapter of the book and we win. If we don't put on the helmet of salvation, that is if we don't let our mind dwell upon the glorious prospects that await us, if we don't do that, and if the truth is known, there's a lot of Christian people that's not doing that. They don't spend 10 minutes a day in real deep meditation and thought and Bible reading concerning what awaits us over there and how that should affect us here. And if we don't, we're going to lose the struggle that we're in in this world because unless your worldview is built upon this foundation, here's what's going to happen. Paul mentions it over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Right after that verse that I keep quoting, looking unto Jesus, verse 3 says, And consider him, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. He's writing to believers when he says that. He's not writing to unsaved people. He's saying, if you don't keep looking to Jesus, if you don't consider him, I want you to stop and think this morning, how much time do you spend in personal fellowship? You know, we used to call that our daily devotional time. 
I mean, that was a popular term years and years ago. I, I don't really know if anybody uses it or not anymore, but let me tell you, you'll never get all you need from attending Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Brother Kenneth and I, we can't give you all you need. You need that personal alone time with you and God and His Word and dwelling upon it, looking unto Jesus. Let me show you why that's important. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And here we find him speaking here about all of these great saints. We'd call them heroes. Notice verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for anyone else to do? My grandpa's the king. You better not mess with me. I mean, he's, look, he's in a good position because as far as everybody else knows, you know, he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And here it says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I'm telling you, the Christian life is tough. There are going to be people that will break your heart. There are going to be people that will abuse you, misuse you, lie to you, everything under the sun. Why? Well, because we're sinners saved by grace. We don't have any perfect members here. And if you're perfect, don't join. You'll ruin the church because we're all imperfect. As the song says, we're just sinners saved by grace. Thank God for that. I'm telling you, you're going to get hurt some way, somehow. And how was it Moses endured? How did he keep going? Now keep this in mind. Moses throwed a little fit, temper fit. And God said, Moses, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to let you go in. You're going to die in the wilderness. You know, I'm surprised. You know, a lesser than Moses would have said, I'm going to write my resignation. I don't want those people coming to me for answers anymore. I don't want to hear their complaints anymore. I'm done with all of this stuff of leading this bunch of crybabies through the wilderness. I've had it. I quit. Get you another pastor. Uh, no doubt folks that would have responded that way. But Moses endured. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. You know why? He not only cared about those people he had a love in his heart for God bills. He knew that God was going to do something that was bigger than he was. He endured, but how did it happen? By seeing him who is invisible. I 
Well, you say, preacher, well, how do I do that? Right here, in the Word of God. Keep your focus on the great salvation that God provided or you'll become a casualty of the war. Over in Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 15, it says, this is talking about living in daily anticipation of this, and here it is, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, you, you live in anticipation of that and it'll change your lifestyle. It'll change the way that you look at life, your perspective on everything else. Yes, it's tough now. It's difficult. It's hard. Yes, but you can endure with the help of God if you keep your focus on Him. That is your, that's your helmet, that hope of salvation that is to come. I wonder how many, if we took a vote today, how many would really could honestly say, you know, I believe Jesus could come back today. A lot of folks say, well, I believe Jesus is coming back someday. But he could come back today, you know. He says he'll come in an hour when we least expect it. it that's our glorious hope, the blessed hope that he's talking about there. That he's going to come in the clouds of the sky and we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's why we say the best is yet to come and we need to keep our focus on that. As Paul says here in Titus, that is our blessed hope. And I'm telling you, believing that he could come at any moment will transform your life. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 3 says, And every man that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. If you really believe Jesus could come back today, there are some of you, you'd start making some changes right now, right? So this morning. If there's something amiss in your life, something you need to make right, you need to do it. Because the blessed hope is the Lord's return and it could happen today. Would you be ready? You say, well, preacher, I know this all well and good for you Christians. Maybe that's been helpful to some of them, but I don't even know I'd go to heaven. Well, I've got good news for you. You can know. You can be absolutely 100% certain that if you died today or if the Lord came today that you would go to heaven when you died. The Lord made it so simple that even a child could understand it. You don't have to be some intellectual giant to figure out how to get to heaven. That jailer asked Paul, the Philippian jailer, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He's talking about believing in the sense of faith. Put your trust in Christ and you will be saved. You could do that right where you are right now this morning. Now I want all of us to bow our heads together. Brother David, the musicians are going to come. And right where you are this morning, 
You don't have to walk down the aisle to get saved. You don't have to shout hallelujah. You don't have to give an extra offering. Right now, wherever you are, if you don't know you'd go to heaven if you died today, would you right now say, God, I believe that you gave your son to die for my sins, and I believe and I know in my heart that that's the truth. And right here and now this morning, Lord, I'm trusting Jesus to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. You might not put it in those words. God knows your heart. And if you will trust Him this morning, He promised He would save you. Jesus said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He won't turn you away. He won't turn you down. He'll save you right now. And if you're trusting the Lord right now, would you come? You don't have to come doing this. Just come up and tell Brother Kenneth. Brother Kenneth, I want everybody to know, I, I just right now here this morning, I'm receiving Christ as my Savior. Just get up out of your seat and come right on. Christians, you be praying. You might be here this morning and you say, Brother Stone, I know I'm saved. I know I'm involved in a warfare against the devil and I, I have just not spiritually prepared myself as I should each day. And he's got me here in this pit of depression. He's gotten me beat down where I've lost my joy. And by the grace of God, I'm not going to let him win anymore. I, I'm going to keep looking to Jesus. Keep my focus on Him. The one who promised that He'd never put more on me than what I'm able to bear. He will enable you to do what you could never do on your own. Maybe you just want to come and have a, a time of prayer. But we're going to stand those that are awaiting baptism. If you would please.